demand perfection, you're going to probably focus on any possible flaw. I think the demand for perfection needs to be replaced with the desire for excellence. And yet the truth is there are times when we may not have the skill set that somebody else has. We may not have the training, the expertise that somebody else has. And then it's just I'm willing to do my best. So perfection is a horrible goal. It's very self-defeating. Thank you for joining us here today on Hope for the Heart. Do you demand perfection? Do you feel like your best is never good enough? Well, June Hutt says that God wants us to aim for excellence rather than perfection. So how does that change your perspective? Let's listen. Guess who's coming to dinner? He's a special guest, a personal friend. It's Jesus himself. So everything must be perfect, only the best for him. Martha has invited Jesus to share a meal at their personal home for Mary, her sister, Lazarus, her brother. So it's Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So Martha focuses on the menu. She's all about making it the best that it can be. Perfect. It must be fit for a king. After all, he is the king of kings. Martha plans and ponders and prepares and she's really doing a great job. And now Jesus has arrived and she's completely distracted by what's yet to be done because the Bible specifically says Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. This is found in the 10th chapter of Luke. No doubt as endeared close friends they had done this so many times Mary and Martha they had listened to him speaking to the multitudes they heard him say be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect did this mean that he expects them always to do everything flawlessly to be totally sinless to have flawless character is that what that means to understand the heart of Christ on perfectionism perhaps we need to think about what was Jesus actually intending what did the people actually need to hear we think well be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect wow not a hint of anything wrong at all ever that's the connotation that we can have. So Jesus, the perfect man, arrives at the house. And obviously, with him, the conversation would be compelling. But notice the contrast. Martha fixates on food for the stomach. Mary feasts on food for the soul. They're both intent. Both have their focus on Jesus. But Martha frets over what goes into his mouth while Mary relishes every word uttered out of his mouth, uttered by the one who is called the wonderful counselor. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And at the feet of Jesus, he's inspiring her spirit and her soul. She is being fed by him. 
there's a clear distinction and it's tremendously bothersome to Martha because she's practical she sees specific needs this is an opportunity for Jesus to address what he's watching going on here you have one scurrying in the kitchen and the other sitting at his feet so who needs the lesson there are words that were spoken by Jesus and he's addressing Martha he says I tell you do not worry about what you eat or drink is not life more than food so as Jesus is as he's visiting these two female friends and their brother Martha's eyes now become fixated on this figure on the floor highly bothered it's her sister simply sitting sitting at the feet of Jesus resentments building bubbling up takes root in Martha's heart in essence Martha is fuming in front of Jesus how can Mary just sit there when there's so much to be done Mary isn't helping at all no one's helping me no one notices my perfect efforts to make the perfect meal in our perfectly clean home now those weren't exact words but in essence that's what she's saying so basically what you see is Martha decides that Jesus needs to do something about this neglect how can Mary be so indulgent doing nothing spending time with you Jesus she's determined to get Mary up off the floor get her in here to help me so rather than appealing to Mary Martha challenges Jesus and sensitivity you're not doing anything to help Jesus is the essence of what's really going on she criticizes him for being uncaring and her words are saturated with self-pity Lord don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself don't you care then propelled by her perfectionism I call her martyr Martha at this point martyr Martha commands the commander of the universe tell her to help me Martha Martha not once calling her name but twice he knows her angst he knows that she is in a stew he poignantly addresses her problematic perfectionism and says you are worried and upset about many things but few things are needed or indeed only one Mary has chosen what is better and it would not be taken away from her he's saying stop doing instead I want you being with me yes there are things to be done but how perfectly do they have to be done and Jesus actually makes it clear Martha must follow Mary's example to sit and partake of food that will never perish even today Jesus says to us do not work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you that's John 6 27 there's something we're to learn here from this story do you think Jesus was going to go and do the white glove treatment you know let me see if there's any dust here anybody here at somebody else's house do you check for dust is there anything wrong with cleaning up dust no but sometimes we major on the minors I can tell you I adored my mom 
but I would watch her at Christmas when we were arriving she was in a dither and I remember one of my sisters saying I just hate it because we'll come in and mom is so focused on getting all these things done but it's like the things to be done took precedence over the people for whom she was doing it so how significant then do the people feel when instead it's all about the doing instead of the being what could be done instead well sometimes it's can we make things simpler I have a sister who she'll just grab stuff and just put it on the table everybody get what you want food from here and food from there and just lay it out really prioritizing dialogue not the perfect presentation she can make it very handsome very attractive but when I visit her I feel prioritized and it's not because of any kind of presentation it's just grabbing from the refrigerator just take what you want now tell me what's going on I said well wait a minute that doesn't show love to be that casual oh yes it does realize it's people that Jesus died for not preparation it's people Jesus prioritized do you care do you want to be conformed to the character of Christ if you're going to be conformed to the character of Christ you prioritize what he prioritized and his people and it wasn't about him having ritual have you noticed that it wasn't about the ritual man looks at the outward this is what the Bible says man looks at the outward but God looks at the heart so what do we need to prioritize and what do you do if you've got the king of kings coming to your home what do you do if you want to do it right but yet you don't want to have wrong priorities if you demand perfection you're going to probably focus on any possible flaw I think the demand for perfection needs to be replaced with the desire for excellence and yet the truth is there are times when we may not have the skill set that somebody else has we may not have the training the expertise that somebody else has and then it's just I'm willing to do my best I'm willing to do my best because around you where you're sitting right now and where you live and where you work you will have actually the ability to be better than some of those people but also there's a strong likelihood that you will not be as good as some of the other people that are around you so perfection is a horrible goal it's very self-defeating you're listening to hope for the heart with June Hunt she'll be right back and she'll talk with a man who admits to being judgmental and self-righteous. He doesn't like this about himself, and he's called June for guidance. This call first aired on June's nighttime radio program, Hope in the Night. If you'd like to talk with June on the air, give us a call at 800-917. That's 800-644-4817. Now let's get back to this broadcast and June's conversation with this caller. Let's listen to a call. 
sometimes I'm a little bit judgmental and self-righteous with other people. I don't like that about myself because I know that I make mistakes myself and God is always very merciful with me and compassionate. And then my other related question was, it's very hard to be totally dependent on Christ and surrender yourself to Christ because it's scary letting God have the control in your life. Yes. I do trust in God very deeply, but I wish it was even stronger where I can be totally dependent on him, but it's just so hard. Okay, now, he's asking about being judgmental. He said, I, I'm a little bit judgmental and self-righteous with other people. And he knows he should let God have control of his life. Think about this, this self-righteous judgmentalism. Is there anything having to do with perfectionism? You know, because a lot of times people who are perfectionistic, they do come off as self-righteous. The assumption is they're prideful, have to have it my way, my way or the highway. He says it's hard to be totally dependent on Christ and surrender yourself to Christ. It's scary letting God have control of my life. Okay, we're going to go on with the call. First of all, I want to compliment you. There's something very, very good about how you are willing to look at yourself. So let's understand some more about you. What gives you value in life? I'm married. I feel a great blessing, the fact that I have a good marriage, that I have two children who I very much love. These people are very important in my life. Let's talk about when you were a boy. Right. What made you feel that you had value when you were a child? I guess when you're complimented by somebody for doing something that they say to you, this is good what you've done, that makes you feel good. Did you grow up feeling at times that you were accepted only based on how well you performed? My parents loved me, but maybe they, they weren't so good at conveying it to me, so maybe it left me feeling a little bit insecure, you know, getting the acceptance through performance. In school, you are judged based on how well you perform. You get an A or a B or a C or a D or an F. In terms of home, if a person is raised with that as the model, I'm accepted based on how well I perform, that becomes a core identity that I have value only if I perform well. So the question is, is this how you were raised? Certainly my parents, one of their top priorities was to get us through our education and be successful. Mm -hmm. Were they somewhat perfectionistic, pretty demanding of themselves? That may well be the case. They didn't have the, the skills or whatever to convey their love for me. It left me feeling that the most important thing was I always did the right thing and I did well and this and that. It's not a matter of blame. It's just trying to find out where are you seeing your own value? Is it based on what you do or is it based on who you are? If you see your value more based on what you do, you will perform extremely well and try so, so hard, which would give those feelings of self-righteousness when you perform so well, and then you can judge other people because they're not performing to their maximum. Is this on target? Yeah, you're definitely getting there. You know, you're definitely in that right area. Okay, so... He said that his parents did not have the skills or whatever to convey their love to me. So he didn't feel that he could feel love from them. 
He said, it left me feeling the most important thing was I was always to do the right thing. And I did well in this and that. That's his value. I have to always do the right thing and do well in this and that. Love wasn't the value because he didn't get that. Okay. Can you give me a specific example of someone who has said to you that they're concerned because you do this? Has your wife felt that you're judgmental of her? Yes, sometimes she would say to me, well, you know, I'm not perfect. And then I realize that I'm being judgmental when she says that. And Do you feel at times you are really a perfectionist? Does everything have to be a certain way? Yes, yes. And, okay. and, and, and like a man on a mission, if I go out to the store and I have three things to get, if I only get two mm -hmm. of them, I feel that I've not succeeded. So you feel like a failure? I feel mm -hmm. I have to achieve what I needed to mm -hmm. achieve that day. And then if mm -hmm. I don't achieve, even if I achieve 50% of it, I still feel a failure. Yeah. Okay. He is judgmental because he is a what? Perfectionist. Yes. Yet it bothers him that he's judgmental because it makes him less than what? Less than perfect. But he's a perfectionist. So if he is judgmental, and especially if he's told that, then that means now he's less than perfect. Do you see the double bind he puts himself in here? Okay, keep going. We have some material on perfectionism. In that material, we have a wrong belief and a right belief. And the perfectionist says, I must always appear competent and able to perform perfectly. I must be successful before I can accept myself. And then others will accept me. As opposed to the right belief is, I can never be perfect or flawless. My competence comes only from the Lord who is living his perfect life through me. In 2 Corinthians 3 verse 4 it says, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. There's nothing wrong with being competent, but if we are seeing that as the means for which we get our identity, our sense of worth, our sense of value, no. Because, see, what would happen if you were in an automobile accident mm -hmm. and you became a paraplegic, a quadriplegic? Let's say you couldn't move your arms or your legs. Right. You couldn't perform anymore, could you? No. Then how are you going to feel if your worth is based on what you do? Right. It's not that you can't do anything if you're a quadriplegic. You can have a prayer ministry. There are things that you can do. But the point here is where does my value come from? What did you do to get acceptance from the Lord Jesus Christ? What did you do? Nothing at all, actually. You did not earn it. Ephesians 2, it's by grace you are saved through faith. Grace means getting a gift you don't deserve. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. It's not a matter of anything you did that you earned salvation. God offered you a gift of eternal life that is operative now, and he gives you his abundant life. 
it should be incredibly humbling that you can't earn anything God's given you. I don't even feel I deserved it. Well, you didn't, and I didn't either. What we deserve is the wrath of God because we've all chosen wrong. If you're going to be godly, he's a God of grace, then you need to be a man of grace and say, Lord, teach me. And I would let that just be a continual prayer. Lord, teach me how to be an extension of your grace. He looks beyond our fault and he sees our need. He sets out to meet that need. That's what we need to demonstrate to others. If you really want your life to be impactful, you will give people grace, not judgment, because we all need grace. The scripture says in Colossians 1:27, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So allow yourself to fully realize that Christ is in you to express his mercy. God's going to judge justly. People don't need our judgment. A judgmental spirit makes you feel superior to others. When you start having those feelings where you feel superior, just say, oh, but God, if it weren't for your grace, I wouldn't be saved at all. May I be an extension of your grace and mercy. So many times people are in torment until they are actually literally able to receive the grace of God living full time within them. You're listening to Hope for the Heart with June Hunt, and she'll be back with more hope and help for perfectionism. Discover more of what God says about breaking free from the performance trap with a free download of our quick reference guide on this topic. You'll find it at hopefortheheart.org. Let me also invite you to dig deeper into the causes of perfectionism and a strategy for breaking free with our Keys for Living titled Perfectionism, the Performance Trap. You can order your copy at this same website, hopefortheheart.org, or call us at 800-488-HOPE. Now here again is June Hunt. As I look back on my childhood, I can see how my father shaped my view that I had little value. I never heard him say, I love you. He simply wasn't interested. At dinner time, Dad enforced the old adage, children are to be seen, not heard. He announced that we couldn't speak unless we had something of interest to say to everyone at the table. Of course, he wasn't interested in anything we kids had to say, so we rarely spoke. It's painful to feel invisible, to feel insignificant, but it's a great help to know that the Lord holds you close when your heart has been hurt. In Jeremiah 31.3, God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. Even if we periodically have difficulty feeling God's love, we can know He loves us. We can know we have God-given worth. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I appreciate that reminder from June, and I'm so grateful that God has given June the ability to take His Word and apply it to the challenges we face in life. You can learn how to help others with the new digital caregivers training using resources that June and her team have developed. Here's more. Addiction, abuse, violence, grief and loss, depression and suicide, marital and family stress. These are only some of the problems the church faces today. 
As a pastor, you may feel overwhelmed with the needs of those in your church and community. As a first responder within your faith community, how do you manage the crisis around you? Imagine raising up those in your church to come alongside you, helping you meet the needs of hurting people. Lifeline to Hope is a brand new, one-of-its-kind caregiver training program for your church. This 10-week video-based program can train and deploy a small, effective group of caregivers and help you launch a dynamic caregiving ministry. Equip your church to connect lives in crisis with a new or renewed life in Christ. Discover more at lifelinetohope.org. lifelinetohope.org. Equip your church to connect lives in crisis with a new or renewed life in Christ. You can discover more at lifelinetohope.org. For June Hunt, I'm Joe Wolf. For daily access to biblical hope and practical help, join us on Facebook. And remember that there is hope no matter the circumstance. Join us again tomorrow for more of this hope right here on Hope for the Heart.